other subtle, harder to determine mistakes are, you're actually using assumptive language, which implies you're already their advisor the way you're asking for the appointment. When you use the words help and you together in a sentence, you've just stepped into the shoes of being my advisor. I mean, what people don't realize is that consumer ears are not like their ears. And the biggest problem I have is everybody's drinking the same Kool-Aid, patting each other on the back and saying, that sounds good, that sounds good, until they do a role play with me. I'm the only consumer in the room. And I'm like, you can't say that to people. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner. On today's episode, we invite Gail Goodman. Gail has spent more than three decades perfecting a systematic way to understand the appointment setting phone call process specifically for financial services professionals. She has worked with all of the biggest names in the financial services and insurance industries. She's trained at this point, tens of thousands of advisors and managers and small business owners and their teams. And she really does to continue to update her training materials based on how we must adapt our phoning skills as things change in our culture. She really is a free contributor to many industry publications and her client list is truly a who's who, as I mentioned in the financial services industry. She has an incredible book. I really encourage you to be able to pick it up. We talk about it in there. It is called Modern Appointment Setting, Prospecting and Phoning for Financial Professionals. Without further ado, let's get into it. Wouldn't it be a great start to 2021 by having more leads in your book of business? Well, that's where our partners at Direct Clicks Inc. come in. Their team's dialed-in approach to running Google ads and online SEO campaigns maximize the quality and the volume of your leads, whether that's for inbound phone calls or even exclusive leads through your website. Direct Clicks Inc. works only with PNC insurance agency owners, so they have thousands of hours creating, A-B split testing, and improving online campaigns specifically for insurance. They also understand why each and every marketing dollar matters in providing true results, low paper clicks, transparency, and attention to detail, all of which is discussed in depth during your monthly review calls. Reach out to the Direct Clicks team at directclicksinc.com. That's directclicksinc.com and find out how they can make a difference in your approach to generating new business. Gail, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you. I've heard so many wonderful things about you and just really enjoyed the conversations that we've had up to this point. So, We always start with background and just how people got to where they are, because I think it's just fascinating to see somebody's journey. And so before we talk about present day and what you do and just the way you think about phone skills, I think is so unique and fascinating. Talk to us about how you even got to doing what you do today and what's influenced you along the way. Well, there are usually a lot of influencers, but to give you the short version, I started my working career as a psychiatric occupational therapist, did that for five years, and then came to the revelation that I was in the wrong career, and I hated it. So what most people do when they abruptly leave work is you bartend, which is what I did. And I got recruited from two installers from the first kitchen refacing company in America who used to come into the bar when I was there serving lunch. And they said, you'd really be good at sales. And they introduced me to the woman who had the local dealership. The challenge was she hired me, which I was happy about. But she also sent me out on 25 confirmed appointments to go sit with couples to talk to them about refacing their kitchen with no training. 
And what happened is I made no sales. I had no idea what was wrong. I learned the product from her. I learned the pricing from her. And yet I did not make a single sale. And as you can imagine, as the zeros kept racking up, she started getting frantic and I started getting very, very depressed and upset because like a lot of people, I was pretty good at most of the things I did in life. I was an A student. I did well at things. And all of a sudden, I was a total failure. Finally, other people convinced her that it was costing her more money to not train me than it would if she would send me to Pittsburgh, where there was the most successful dealer in the country. His name is Maurice. And I could spend a week with him. The money that she would give him by the way, went to charity. He never pocketed the money. He had an extremely successful kitchen refacing operation in Pittsburgh, selling over 100 kitchens a week. So I would go out literally all day, morning, noon, and night with his different salespeople. And I started to realize why I was doing it wrong. At 11 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night, when I'd come back from the last appointment, he'd sit me down and teach me what I was watching. So I learned Lo and behold, there is a structure to a sales appointment, which I had no idea of. She hired me because I had a, air quotes, sales personality. But a sales personality without training is going to get you nowhere. Eventually, he became my mentor. When I went home, by the way, I sold everybody that would sit still because I was crazed. I finally knew what I was doing, and I was implementing it very effectively. And he convinced the company president that I would be a phenomenal trainer because I was able to translate what I was learning. And eventually I became the director of training. We franchised. We became a much bigger company that was eventually bought out by Sears, who bought out the company by Home Depot. And I knew when I left that company how to teach marketing, selling, and appointment setting because he was the one that suggested that every operation have their own telephone appointment department, TAD. We called it the TAD room. And I felt that telephone trainers were probably more rare, but I only knew how to teach the appointment setting phone call for a direct salesperson. And then I started presenting myself out there to the universe and the financial services industry really latched on to me very quickly. And then that became my target market. And I'm very entrenched in that business now. And that's how it happened. I'm going to have so many questions for you with this, because <laughs> as I was preparing for this, and some of it is obviously, I don't think at the time we're recording this, I mean, we're still in the pandemic and so many things have changed. And so I'm really interested to see your thoughts on that. But first, we talk about with Club Capital University, mindset, skill set, and tool set. Okay. So your thought process and the way that you think about telephone skills, and I'm not necessarily even specifically meaning appointments. We'll get into how to set appointments on the phone and just your thought process around that. But can you just talk about the mindset that we need to have as business owners that ultimately gets into how we think about it with our teams, about the importance of what we say on the phone and the things that we do? You said yesterday, I thought it was pretty, I loved it. I wrote it down like dirty words, bad words to say. And some of the things that we do whenever we are trying to say the right things, but ultimately we're not saying the right things at all. But can you just first talk about your mindset towards telephone skills? The problem that we have when we are telling somebody, go to the phone and get an appointment is that if we don't teach them what they're trying to accomplish and the best words to do that, people will make gross errors, very similar to the way I flubbed all of my sales appointments. And the first part that's hard is understanding that the appointment setting phone call, if you're in direct sales, is not about the product. In the case of financial services, it is the act of getting the other person to let you be their advisor, which precedes the process. So you're basically calling to introduce the idea of a new relationship, sometimes to people that you already have an existing relationship with. For example, if you were my brother and I want to be your financial advisor, we already have a relationship, but now I'm adding one that you had no idea of. So that's part of the reason why calling our friends and family is difficult. But the problem in the industry is that managers even say things to the young advisors like, we'll go sell the appointment and then we'll go meet them. No, we don't sell the appointment. 
right there using the word sell in the phoning atmosphere is wrong because it already starts to conjure up all the sales language that I don't want them to use on the phone. You need to have phoning language. You got to be bilingual. And a lot of managers don't know that. They just think, well, you just sort of talk to people and they let you come in the door. No, they don't. If it were easier, nobody would need me. But the mindset is I am trying to create, if it's an existing relationship and a relationship, or I'm trying to create a new relationship with this person whereby they will entertain the thought of picking me as their advisor. When the appointment is set and confirmed, you're still not picked. The first five minutes of that appointment is the confirmation that, yeah, now I'm in with them. Because you don't walk in and sit down and say, okay, tell me where all your money is. There is a warming up process. Even in kitchen refacing, we were taught to walk in and get them comfortable with us because we were about to go into their kitchen and start opening their cabinets and ask them what they could afford. So there is always a warming up process. The phone call precedes even that. So everybody ends up using the wrong words if they're given the wrong mindset. No question Hmm. about it. What you're thinking is what you're saying. So what is the difference in how do we reconcile the difference between our sales language and our phoning language? You know, I'm talking about this yesterday. You brought this up. I'd never heard that before, but it did make sense whenever you said it. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. What is the difference both from a, maybe it's a mindset, but also just a pure skill set of our phone language versus our actual sales process? Now we have a product that we're walking them through and selling that product for sure. But reconcile the difference between those two. The phone call is about the idea of getting together to have a conversation about how you're going to move forward. There is no product. You're not saying any product. You don't bring up solutions because you don't know who the heck they are. And that's a major issue that I constantly get on my experienced advisors with because if they hear your demographics, they already have solutions in their head. Well, do you have this product? Do you have this set up? Because that's what you do when you know what you're talking about. They're the hardest people to retrain because they can immediately make assumptions about people, usually correct, but we're not at that point. And my favorite example is you don't ask somebody on a first date how many children we're going to have. That is the exact example I use all the time. You are jumping the gun in your language. It's all about artfully vague relationship language. And that's why there are so many dirty words that I have to slap people down about. Plus, there's out-of-date words. The other thing that upsets me is people tend to not realize how much language evolves. And that's why I called my book Modern Appointment Setting, because people who get mentored by experienced advisors are often given extremely out-of-date phone language suggestions that in a million years, I wouldn't have them say. I joke around, I say, nobody uses the phrase groovy anymore. So why would you use that outdated phrase to set an appointment? So how have things changed in, say, the last 10 years? maybe go back to before Facebook and social media was really big, right? It was just kind of coming on. How do you think things have changed in the language and the words that we use just in the last 10 years? Well, the major thing that changed, in my opinion, our culture and our lives as salespeople is the smartphone. Full stop. Way more than language. Because everybody doesn't pick up. Your smartphone is only used 7% of the time as a phone, so it should be called your pocket computer because it's only 7% of the time used as a phone. People hear a ringing phone and an unsolicited or unexpected call as an intrusion, not as something that they are welcoming. Mm -hmm. And everybody's caller ID is a self-subscribed list of people you are willing to talk to. So the major challenge that happened culturally is if you don't already know somebody, i.e. you're in their phone, and our whole job is to meet strangers because we're in sales, you have trouble meeting new people because they won't pick up. And if you're not on their contact list and don't come up as a name and a picture and a number, they put the phone down. That's a major problem. In terms of language, I'll give you a favorite that I tend to pick on in my class. A lot of people, when they say, I already have an advisor, an old-fashioned way of responding to that is to say, well, I can give you a second opinion on what your advisor has done. And I think that that's not a good answer, a totally not good answer. 
first of all, I am telling you, I already have a trusted person that takes care of my money. You saying, I'll give you a second opinion is already telling me, I'm going to show you how he's a jerk and I'm smarter than him. That's the way that comes across. And the other problem with a second opinion about anything, other than if you get a deadly diagnosis from a doctor, is everybody can find second opinions on the internet about everything. You could do all your own financial planning on the internet. So the whole concept of I'll give you a second opinion is beloved and has got to be buried and get a beautiful funeral. It's got to get out of our language. I didn't even know I was going to ask about this, but I want to ask about voicemails and the voicemails that we use because that's phoning language. But before we get to voicemails, somebody does pick up. What are the biggest mistakes that we make or our teams make in that first 15 seconds of a phone call that pretty much put us behind the eight ball and put the prospect or the lead on the defensive from the very get-go? What are some of the things that we need to absolutely get out of our language that we're using every single day that you hear that, see that, and think this is not going to work? Well, the first thing that really upsets me, especially in financial services, because it's a serious profession, is slang. And some of this is mindset and some of it is just telling people to stop doing it. You want to seem like yourself. You want to be friendly. That doesn't mean you should use slang nor ad lib. And there is a whole lot of that going on because when COVID hit, I had a lot of people that realized they better get better on the phone because you can't beat people anymore. And I did a ton of role playing. And I was taking aspirins a lot. I was horrified because people think that when they're ad-libbing, they're sounding casual and relaxed and friendly. To me, you're sounding unprofessional. So people misjudge being scripted and ad-libbing as one sounds like I'm overly coached by somebody else. And in the other case, I'll sound like me. No, in the case of ad-libbing, you sound completely unprofessional because there's no way you could say the best thing off the top of your head. And the problem with scripting is that you sound scripted. That doesn't mean the script is its fault. It means your delivery is terrible. So learn your script, own it, memorize it, and then personalize it. And people get tired of me saying that. But I literally had people as recently as last week saying, well, I just don't like scripts. This is somebody I've been coaching for a year. And I'm like, you didn't just say that. And he said, no, no, no. I really don't like sounding scripted which created a better coaching opportunity for me to coach the whole group when he made that comment. What they're doing is not learning how to naturalize the words that I give them because this is all I do for a living. You're supposed to be able to be a financial advisor as well. Why don't you just take what I tell you to say and use it? Other subtle, harder to determine mistakes are you're actually using assumptive language which implies you're already their advisor the way you're asking for the appointment. And the easiest example, which horrifies everybody, but too bad, when you use the words help and you together in a sentence, you've just stepped into the shoes of being my advisor. So Gail, what I'd like to do is help you with your retirement plan. Now, you just already said you are help. I mean, what people don't realize is that consumer ears are not like their ears. And the biggest problem I have is everybody's drinking the same Kool-Aid, patting each other on the back and saying, that sounds good, that sounds good, until they do a role play with me. I'm the only consumer in the room. And I'm like, you can't say that to people. And they're like, oh, why not? So, So really, the opposite of that is we have to get them bought into the idea of considering us to develop a new relationship, to potentially be their advisor, as opposed to using assumptive language saying, no, we already are your advisor. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. great summary. Well, what are your thoughts about voicemails? Like kind of the do's and don'ts? Because I thought about it as you were saying that. I mean, right before we hopped on this podcast, I had a call from an unknown number and so many numbers now, so many spam calls are coming from what seem to be local numbers. So in my zip code, it's mm-hmm. 256. And you and I talked yesterday, we're not actually far from each other. And so I'll get a call from, I saw one from Elkmont not long ago, which is not far from here, answered it. It's a spam call. And so we mm-hmm. get more and more wary of that. And I thought that that was a great way to put it about if we have the name and our phone number, we have permission to answer that call, but a number we don't know. And so it's getting harder to get people to pick up the phone. So therefore, it brings in the importance of being able to leave a voicemail so somebody might be interested in calling us back. What are your thoughts on that? Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. 
built for agents by agents. So we know your struggles with accounting, payroll and HR solutions, tax services, analytics and more. Let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. It's sort of at the end of the line of solutions to the fact that people don't pick up. Mm -hmm. Voicemail is one way to prove that you're a real person and not a robocall. Absolutely. But there is no such thing as a brilliant voicemail that motivates another person to call you back. So everybody's got to let go of that fantasy. Because I get that request even to this day. I really need a great voicemail, Gail, so they will call me back. And I say to them, if I had it, I'd charge you a million dollars. There is no such thing. Stop asking for it. A voicemail is sometimes not even listened to. So I'm encountering phones that people don't even set up their voicemail when they buy a new phone now. They don't care. Like the attitude about this computer, this rectangle that is always on your possession, like you never leave the house without your rectangle. You'll forget your kid in a store, but you know you have your phone on you. It's unbelievable how we don't leave home without it. And yet the way to get people to respond to you is to market differently and request through technology, either through email or texting, Gail, what is a good time? Maybe you're referred to me and there is no way you can just call me out of the blue. I'm not going to pick up. You get the referring party to introduce us and send your contact information as part of the text saying you should speak to this person. Then your next step, knowing I've got you in my phone, is to ask me when is a good time to talk, which is what you and I did. Your assistant set up a time for you and I to know each other. So when I commented on your phone number, it's because I knew you were from Alabama, but I also knew who you were. Mm-hmm. You are on my calendar. Sure. I am having a phone call with you. I know this. So it's the expectation of the phone call. Now the phone number doesn't matter as much. It is the random unexpected phone call that is suddenly not appreciated and totally rejected, actually. Do you think that in some cases, if utilizing email to introduce ourselves if we have the ability to send an email to somebody to let them know that we will be reaching out gives a better expectation to them that, okay, somebody's going to be calling me from this financial advisor or insurance agency office and to be looking for a call with whatever their phone number is. I mean, what are your thoughts about utilizing that to give people a heads up to let them know that you're going to be reaching out? Without having an introduction to what the relationship's going to be about, you can't do it as your first email. You know, it's really ironic because I just spoke to you yesterday, but before our phone call, I was coaching a young lady who happens to be in this coaching group that I have been training for two years. And she was starting to do LinkedIn messaging to very specific people. And I emailed her and I said, "Uh uh-uh, this is wrong. And what she was also doing was writing a message and then saying, feel free to use Calendly to set up a phone call with me. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, stop. Everybody is in such a hurry. They're not building relationships and then asking for a phone call. On LinkedIn, for example, I think you need to go back and forth a little bit with messaging. You cannot send me a one-time email and then expect me to accept an expected phone call. First of all, you don't even know if that's a convenient time for me. So the request is you ask for what I call a phone date just to avoid the word appointment, obviously. So the phone date request is two sentences. The first one is always unique to your relationship to that person. Gail, I sat with your sister, did some really great financial work with her, and she suggested that I reach out to you. Now, I would want her to reach out to me. If she refuses to, you'd have to resort to this. Or we meet at a party. And if you don't know how to turn that into an appointment, which is one kind of skill as well, you might follow up and it's like you would make sure to get into my phone and say, Gail, I really loved our conversation. 
that we were having at the party yesterday. I'd love to continue it. And here's the sentence that asks for their permission. Send me some times you're available in the next two weeks for a brief phone call. And that cannot get re-edited. The first part has to be unique to whatever your relationship is with that person. If it's a stranger, I can guarantee you they will not respond to one sentence about, I'm a financial advisor and you fit my target market and I have great ideas for you. Send me some times you're available for a phone call. Somebody is not going to respond to that. People are overly aggressive and don't realize that there needs to be relationship building before you even ask for a phone call. Then on that phone call, you could ask for the face-to-face appointment. In this case, it'll be virtual, but everybody will be able to get back together again, hopefully before the calendar turns again to another year. But as we're working through that, the only difference is it's a virtual appointment. Everything has stayed the same other than the fact that it's a virtual appointment. So one of the things that really stands out to me is just the fact that as I was processing what you're saying is we're just too quick to go too far. I think whenever you said we're going on a first date and asking someone to marry us, I mean, to me, that's we're asking too much too fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is what and I call selling language. There's a relationship that needs to be built. Now, it doesn't have to take six months. In some cases, it might take six months if it's depending on the client. But we're trying to one call close too often from the very first time we have a conversation all the way to them becoming an advisor or a client or a customer or whatever. And certainly that can happen sometimes. But for the people that we probably really want, it's going to take some time to build that to build that relationship, ask for permission to continue on nurturing the relationship along the way. Correct. And those who are in, for example, one call close final expense selling are very tough to retrain to become financial advisors who do everything, a fact find and a whole process and then a presentation, and then become an ongoing relationship for many, many years. And then as the kids grow up, they become your client. They're two different businesses. And I have to tell you, when I lived in New York, turning a Wall Street person who was fearless on the phone, which made my sales manager's eyes twinkle, were the hardest people to convert because they had no process related to what we did. They were on the phone slamming to sell a stock that day. And they were very bad candidates for the industry because they were fearless on the phone. They were getting recruited in very high numbers, especially when there was a crash. And they all walked away from Wall Street and tried to come into financial services. And I'd be sitting there saying to the managers, do you understand that he knows how to pick up the phone, but will not do it the way we want him to? He doesn't understand process. He only understands keeping them on the phone to get them to buy a stock. If they hang up, you're lost. That's not our theory. That's not our religion. And that's part of the problem is everybody is so pressured. Now, I don't blame anybody. There is pressure to sell. There is pressure to make money. I get that. But where they're putting the pressure is on the appointment setting phone call because they're not being taught good phone language. They're implementing the sales language because the hours spent teaching the selling are exponentially higher than the hours taught doing phoning. So if you only teach me French, and then you drop me in Russia, I don't know what I'm doing. I think we have to talk about objection handling. So when we're inviting people to develop the relationship, we're going to face objections. I'm too busy. I don't have the time. I'm good where I am, et cetera. What is your approach on objection handling throughout the process? So we're in phoning language. We're inviting them to give us an opportunity to develop this relationship more. We're going to face objections. How do we begin to combat that the right way? There's been a cultural shift. Here's what happens. Because you can't call somebody who doesn't know you because they won't pick up. You have to use the process that I said prior, which is we know each other from our kids play soccer together. And then you invite me to have a phone call and say, so send me some time you're available in the next two weeks for a brief phone call. And I don't respond. So you wait three or four days and you do it again. And I don't respond. There's your objection. Objection handling on the phone is at a minimum because people refuse to speak to you if they ever think they might want to say no to what they think you're asking them. So it's really strange how little I teach objection handling, except, and this is going to make sense, when you call your natural market, because those are the people you can randomly dial. Everybody who is in your natural market is probably in your phone. You're in their phone, they're in your phone. 
I actually random dialed one of my agents who's better at LinkedIn than I am. And I wanted to ask her a question. She literally, I knew she'd pick up. I should have probably texted her and said, hey, Hillary, can you talk to me for five minutes? I just called her. She picked up. She said, are you okay? Because the teacher was calling the student and I didn't use my own methodology to text in advance. I scared her to death, literally. I said, I'm okay, but I need your help. And she's like, oh my God, I got so scared when I saw your name. Of course I'm in her phone and she's in my phone. So when you randomly dial your family and friends and all the people in your world, the reason everybody is so terrified is because one, as I said before, there is a pre-existing relationship. You're my cousin. We were children together. We were teenagers together. We went out drinking when our parents didn't know together. We double dated. I mean, I have a cousin who I had that relationship with. He's my buddy. I can call him out of the blue. He will pick up the phone. But if I call him to say, hey, the reason that I'm calling you is that I have moved to becoming a financial advisor and I've decided I'm going to build my practice around only the people that I care about. And it's funny because they also ask us to actually put those people on a list and you're at the top of my list. What I'd like to do is find a time when I can sit down with you and Beth, have a virtual meeting, share with you the total scope of the work that I do. And then you could use me, my team, and all the resources at my company in any way that makes you feel comfortable. That's the person who's going to pick up and you have to have a script for. My cousin says back to me, wow, good for you. The bad news is I already have an advisor. Okay, now you have to learn the answer to that. Because my cousin is somebody who'll pick up when I call and everybody else is going to refuse the phone date. So it's mostly natural market. And there's three things you have to learn the answer to. There are very few objections because they refuse to talk to you in the first place. The primary one is always, I got somebody. I even call it, I got a guy. So I have a financial professional subversion. I call it, I got a guy. The second one is, I don't think I have enough money to justify this relationship because nobody in America thinks they have the right amount of money. And the third is, I'm too busy to even think about my money. So those are the three that I will acknowledge people need to have good answers to. But everybody gets themselves back to that mindset thing, so psyched up about a no Let me give you an example of a no. It's the ghosting of your text asking for the phone call. You got ghosted. That's what it looks like. That's the 2021 version of it. Yeah, you're so right. You're so right. That is so true. We do get that, right? I found out the other day that somebody on my team was talking about leaving someone on red, and I thought it was R-E-D, but apparently there's a thing leaving on red, like R-E-A-D, like they see your text message and... They have a read receipt, I think, on it. And so you can tell that they've read it, but they haven't responded. And so just that made me think about the ghosting comment. I mean, you're so right about that. On Instagram and Facebook, they've seen your DM, right? Or whatever it is, LinkedIn, et cetera. So I think that's so true. You mentioned it earlier, but has anything changed in the past year since COVID? Obviously, the appointments are (laughs) virtual, but do you feel like that there's been a shift with any type of the language we should or shouldn't use over the past year? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing that I'm training people to do is not call and say, hey, it's me. How are you? Mm -hmm. Deadly. Because what's interesting, there seems to be an emotional cycle going on in the country. And I'm, of course, only telling you from the financial industry's perspective and what my advisors tell me. In the beginning, when you said, how are you? People were so upset and frantic, especially in lockdown, that They were literally, and I use the word very carefully, they were vomiting their anxiety all over the advisors and people didn't know what to do with it. Then it calmed down. And now because the end is near, it's not tomorrow, but it's this calendar year, we're going to go back to something that remotely looks like normal. The vaccine is here. Hallelujah. When you know, like the week before you're going to go on vacation, which has been on your calendar for a long time, your irritability factor rises. So once again, there tends to be a higher irritability factor. So in order to avoid the 40-minute rant that some of my advisors are getting, I teach people not to say, how are you? So hi, how are you doing? Is just kind of hello in Alabama and Tennessee, but not necessarily in some of the other states for people who are listening. But I'm training every single person to say, hi, it's me, and I'm calling for two reasons. You got to learn to say that sentence because you have to let that other person know in your natural market. Because remember, it's not a predicted planned phone call. These are the random phone calls. I'll call my cousin. He'll pick up. 
hey, Rick, it's Gail. I'm calling for two reasons. And then I'll say, how are you and Beth coping with the new normal? Because I need to take the temperature of this family before I ask for an appointment. It's going to change the way you ask for the appointment. Mm-hmm. And they will, nobody believes me until they do it. People will limit their answer to whatever the first question is when you say, I'm calling for two reasons, because they want to know what the second thing is. It's amazing how words work. They're kind of magical when you learn how to put them in the right order. And he will tell me how he and Beth are doing. And then he won't go into a 20 minute dissertation, though. He'll make it shorter because then he wants me to say the other reason for my call. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm teaching people to do. COVID has increased the emotional reaction to hello that we can't handle. It's freaked out some of my advisors, to be honest. I think it's getting worse again. The vaccine and whether there is one or isn't one is a lot more anxiety in America. We also have to use the phone more. So you better be better. You better be better. Boy, that's well said. That's so true. You do have to be better. We have to be better. Okay. At some point, Hopefully we'll pull out of this COVID. Let's just say that we do for conversation purposes. Where do you think things are going in the next five years? And how do we need to be? Because as you said, language has changed. It's changed multiple times. There's words that we would never say now that were said in the 70s and 80s and so on and so forth. But if you had a crystal ball, where do you see things going in the next five to 10? I think I've survived with my relationship to financial services. I think I've been through four recessions at this point. We always come back. We always come back. We are the financial services industry. The thing that, and I will get on my soapbox, I promise for a minute, and then I will stop. I will behave myself. I believe very strongly there is as serious a financial crisis going on in America as there is a medical crisis. What upsets me to no end is that there are no financial people on television. It's always about the doctors. It's always about the science. What about the money? People are in crisis. 2008 was a devastating recession. I knew people that lost everything. I knew people that were selling whatever. And we need to be there to help people come out of this very, very deep economic hole. And I think it's going to be a slow climb. One of the things that I teach people to do when they network prior to COVID is when I find out somebody has been in business for more than 10 or 15 years, I say, how come you think your family business survived 2008? And they all know what I'm talking about. What made your family business or your personal business strong enough? How did it affect you? And they say, oh, I survived, but by my fingernails keeps the conversation going. COVID is going to be the same thing. How did you survive? I didn't. I actually restarted my business completely different. I had to restructure it for COVID. And now it looks like what you see, but it used to look, it becomes a conversation point for financial advisors to understand the other person's one financial resiliency, but more important, what is their financial philosophies? We are not a country that talks about money. We don't do financial literacy training in school. We have children that have loans from school who don't know what compound interest is. It's like, what is going on here that everybody is so darn dumb, and I'm being really nice, about their money? We have to educate. And when there's a crisis, we're needed more. And I don't think there's a respect for that. We have to always be selling who we are and what we do, which is, it bothers me because I'm around financial advisors and I know how brave and bold and caring they are. But that's what this crisis has done. It's created a different version of a recession. It's more devastating because there was a lot of death around it which is devastating. But that's what we're going to be talking about is how did you survive? How can I help? I think you're right. I think, honestly, so many people needed to hear that message that you just said is that they need help. And just kind of tying that back to the financial recession and how they need advisors right now more than ever, I think is an important message for us to hear. What is something that we haven't touched on whenever you're working with people, either as I, you know, we'll just say a best practice, but something that we haven't touched on that you feel is critical for our listeners to be able to make sure that they understand either through developing skill sets with themselves or their team or even just their mindset. What I'm finding with COVID is that I'm really being a very, very mean mother to those who I find out did not call their natural market during this tragedy. And if you have the capacity to help people because of your skill set as a financial professional, and you haven't called everybody that you love, and some of them might be in bad straits, and you're not lending a helping hand, I think your license should be taken away. 
because what we were doing in the beginning was calling everybody like I'm here to be comfortable. In fact, one of the companies that I work for, which is State Farm, actually labeled it comfort calls. Just call everybody. Just let them know we're still here. We're standing. Everything you have with us is still solid. You'll be okay. And what ironically happened, because nobody was driving around, is everybody got auto discounts this year. No mileage, less accidents. I mean, there was a financial shift in that part of the insurance industry. But in financial services, if somebody in your family is in dire straits and you're not lending a hand, I mean, seriously, my niece is a doctor. If I have a strange pain, I call her at 10 o'clock at night. She tells me what to do. She sent me to an emergency a couple of weeks ago. I wasn't happy about it. She said, uh, I think you need to go to the emergency room. I went, okay. She has credibility because she knows about medicine. We have credibility. We know about money. We know about money on the basic Mr. and Mrs. Joe lunch bucket level, not up where the feds are, but down in the ground with human beings who have children they want to send to college, houses they want to remodel, cars they want to pay off, vacations they want to take, money they want to leave to their kids. That's what we do, the nuts and bolts of everyday life. It's at risk now, and you have to call the people you love. Like, really, what is your excuse if you're not calling? I love your refreshing approach. We were talking yesterday. I said, hey, I love just how honest you are with your opinions. And I think that that was going to, everybody's been able to just kind of see that listening to this podcast. I think that you've been doing this for so many years that you're really tapped into the psychological triggers that people have, but also just paying respect to the fact that also people's interest and taste change. The cell phones have changed. Social media has changed. COVID has had an impact. And I've learned so much in this and just getting to know you and in this podcast and just not a contrarian way of thinking about it. We've talked about you know, use contrarian on this podcast a few different times with some different guests, but I just love your refreshing approach. And it just makes a lot of sense to me about telephone sales and look, telephone sales, whether you're selling auto insurance or whether you're selling an investment planning is going to be something that is going to be there for a long, long time. And so we better get better at it. Well, the other thing that you know I feel differently than a lot of other people about is the idea of call reluctance. Yeah. And because I worked in psychiatry, the fact that everybody is going around labeling people who won't get on the phone and make their calls as having a deep psychological disease upsets me terribly. Number one, it's not in the DSM-5, which is the psychiatric Bible of what a real diagnosis is and the description of it. It's not there. What it is is a lack of training on the part of the management team, which is exactly what happened to me with that woman who would not let me go to training and she was too cheap to train me. And she found out how dangerous I was going out on 25 confirmed appointments and making no money for her. So my aha was when I stood in that airport waiting to go home, totally overexhausted. And I called Maurice, who, by the way, stayed my mentor for many years after I met him. I was very close to him. And I stood at the airport, went to a pay phone, which tells you how old this story is. And I got to him because I said, tell him it's me on the phone. And he picked up the phone. He said, what? And I whispered three words to him. And I still get chills thinking about how I felt that day. I just whispered to him, I got it. Mm. And he said, honey, I know. And I hung up. And I got to tell you, I found how important training was to me that day. That week I spent with that man. And I know there is no such thing as cold reluctance. There are people who haven't been properly trained, given the right words, given the right mindset and the encouragement to do it. There's too many people that come to my class with the disease and walk out the door knowing how to make a phone call. So really, either I'm a genius psychiatrist, I have some miracle drug on my hands, or, which I will own to, I'm a trainer. I know how to train people on the phone and many managers don't. And so really, if you're a business owner listening to this and you don't feel comfortable doing the training Go find a who. You may be thinking, how can I do this? Maybe I'm not good at being consistent in the training. Find a who, someone like Gail, and be willing to invest in your most important assets, which is your people, to give them the training, give them the mindset, and especially give them the skill set so that they can then develop the confidence that they need and rid themselves of this, quote unquote, call reluctance disease. Does that summarize it? Better than I do. (laughs) Oh, I don't know about that. 
Gail, this has been great. I hope to have you come back on the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. But before we tell people how to find you, the best way to get in touch with you and how you can help them, you ready for the world famous E9 rapid fire? Mm -hmm. Sure. The last book that you read. I am in the middle of reading a book called City of Lights. What book would you recommend the most to other advisors, insurance agency owners? My book, Modern Appointment Setting, because it has scripts in it and people don't need to start from the beginning. Let me write the scripts and just go use them. We'll put that in the show notes, absolutely, and in our email. If there was a movie made about your life, who would you want to play you in that movie? Hmm, tough one. Kate Blanchett. Other than your iPhone, what is your favorite tech tool or app that you love to use? You're making an assumption I love my iPhone, but I would <laughs> really true. tell you I That's love true. my iPhone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good point. I was the last one to buy one, which everybody was screaming at me, but you're the phone teacher. I said, I am the phone teacher. I know this thing is dangerous. The truth is I love my iPad because I travel with it and it's much more fun and it's a bigger screen and I do love my iPad. So many people look up to you and find you inspiring, learn from you. Who do you look up to? Who inspires you? Well, the truth is that my mother is an amazing person. My mother's 94, lives alone. And just the other day, honestly, a friend of mine was texting back and forth with me and I said something about my mother. She said, based on some of the things you tell me, it sounds like your mom is a rock star. And I wrote <laughs> back, she is. My mother, the more I see how hard it is to be a parent, my mother had great boundaries. She was very encouraging. She and my dad made us feel like we could do anything that boys could do. And we grew up prior to women's lib. And anytime I said things like, I think I'll go into business for myself. She was like, Yahoo. She was gangbusters. She took me for clothes. She said, you have to look good if you're going to be successful. My mother has always been in my corner without being a hover mother, which I think is very tricky now that I see how hard it is to be a parent. And I think it's admirable because she let me be my own person, let me make mistakes, which I did. You know, I fell on my face a lot of times that she wasn't there to pick me up. She was like, mm, brush yourself off. And that's very hard to do. And I'm only realizing how much I am as successful as I am because of my mom and dad and my mother's still alive, but my dad can hear me in heaven. You spent most of your life, I believe, in New York, and then you just recently moved to the South, to Tennessee. What do you think is the biggest misconception about people in the South and about people in New York? Well, the misconception is the problems we have in our country, which is that everybody in the South is a dumb hick and everybody in the North is an elite intellect. And both of them not true. There are wonderful people in Tennessee and there are wonderful people in New York. And the fact that the stereotypes get held onto so profoundly is a tragedy because taking the leap from New York to Tennessee was shocking to my friends. And yet they all see how happy I am because guess what? They're normal people too. What is your favorite travel destination you've ever visited? Oh, that one's easy. Paris prettiest city in the world. I love America, but outside of America, boy, Paris is just stunning. Man, I cannot wait to be able to travel again freely, you know, overseas. Yeah, I don't like being landed either. What's the one thing in your life that you wish could be automated? <laughs> Cooking. It is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast, after all. What is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever been given? If you don't know how to do it, find somebody who could either teach you or do it for you. Gail, this has been great. I've loved getting to know you. And as I said yesterday, just being able to connect with you and have you in my network of people. I know people have gotten a lot out of this. If they want to know more about you, reach out to you and how you can help them, their teams to be better on the phone. What's the best way for them to reach out to you and connect with you? Well, the first thing that's the easiest to send me an email. My email is Gail. G-A-I-L at phoneteacher.com, which is my website and my email address. And if you call me and I don't pick up because you're not in my phone, you probably should text me and let me know that you heard me on this podcast. And then I will accept your phone call because then I'll know it's you. I love that. I love that. Practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. I love it. Gail, I hope to be able to have you back on in the future and just continue our discussion. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate being asked. You know, I picked up on so much in that podcast with Gail. 
whenever she just really talked about our culture and how only 7% of the time are we using our cell phones as a phone. I didn't know that, but that absolutely makes sense. Some of the things, just the mistakes that are typically made, some of those bad words, dirty words. We talked about voicemails and really exactly how to think about voicemails. And then also just the her objection handling. And I love the concept of inviting people to a phone date. But probably the most important thing that I really picked up from that is just being patient in the process and not jumping all the way through one of the first time you meet someone and how you really need to invite them into the opportunity to have a relationship with you. And again, And depending on what it is that you're selling, if it's financial services or maybe just auto insurance, that may change. Some of you listening to this may say, well, yes, but with what we're doing, making auto insurance calls, we get right to the point. And that probably does work. But if you're working to try to convert somebody's million dollar portfolio over to your company, then we certainly know that there's a need to be much more patient in that process. So I thought that was really interesting. I thought also whenever she talked about our natural market, that really stood out to me. And then just even saying or not saying, hey, how are you? I caught myself actually later on from the time I interviewed her to the time that I'm actually doing this intro and outro. I had a couple of phone calls and I caught myself saying, hey, how are you? So just even that awareness, I think, was beneficial. Make sure you reach out to Gail. Go to phoneteacher.com, phoneteacher.com. Pick up our book. You can find it on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Gail, thank you for your time. And I hope that you're able to come back on in the future. Hey, are you looking to grow your business in 2021? My guess is you have a growth mindset if you're listening to this podcast. If you want to grow your business, one of the best ways to do that is through leads and specifically pay-per-click leads. There's no better place to be able to start, reach out to, and just find out. Maybe some of you just... You know, I was talking to somebody the other day that they just did not have a really good understanding about how Google and pay-per-click worked. Reach out to Matt and Maddie Jones at Direct Clicks. We talk about them all the time, but they are truly first-class people. At a minimum, make sure you download their free tool, the marketing ROI tool. It's in the show notes or in our emails. And if you're not getting our emails, make sure you go to club.capital forward slash podcast, club.capital forward slash podcast. Sign up for our emails so that way you can be notified every single week whenever we drop a new podcast. But go to directclicksinc.com, directclicksinc.com. Give it a try. See what you think. Reach out to us. If we have any questions, we'd love to talk to you. Until next episode, lead well. 